Oh, hey, I didn't see you there. I'm JD, and this is how I got tinnitus. Did y'all like that little uh, Midwest emo style acoustic jam at the beginning there? Yeah, I've been uh, I've been picking up the old axe lately, the acoustic one. But yeah, it, it's it's been a, it's been a journey. Been been touching the strings a bit, playing some soft stuff, trying to get back into it. You know, made music for 15 years. Why am I gonna stop? Just because I got this silly ringing in my ears? Speaking of silly ringing, we've got an audiologist on the show today. My friend Tina Campbell. Uh, we used to work together years ago, and we were buds uh, who both really enjoyed punk music. And one day, Tina said, hey, uh, I'm going to be moving. I'm going to Texas, and I'm going to become an audiologist. I knew she was going to school for it, but here she is now. She's, uh, she's doing it. And I remember thinking back in the day, man, is she becoming an audiologist because of punk and we talk about that a little in the show. I guess that's kind of the reason I'm trying to get into this stuff. So we had a great talk, covered a whole bunch of cool stuff. I was really interested in this part of our chat about some of the possible limitations uh, that audiologists have as professionals being able to address tinnitus. And uh, got really excited about that. So hope you guys find that part exciting as well. What else? We we definitely talk about our mission to uh, spread spread the truth about tinnitus, especially to our punk people. You know, loud music is really cool, uh, but the risks, you know? But before we go any further, let's just take a moment for disclaimer time. Just a friendly reminder that this show is 100% created by a civilian tinnitus amateur with absolutely zero formal training or education in anything related to the medical field or audiology. Everything that I pick up and talk about on the show is stuff that I've gleaned from hours and hours and hours, days, months, and well, I guess we're getting on years of obsessing over tinnitus. And the whole purpose of the show is just me trying to get the word out. These conversations that I have with guests are in earnest, me trying to better understand tinnitus and share with anyone who cares to listen what I'm picking up in these conversations. It's just for the record, y'all. This is not a substitute for any sort of medical advice. So please and thank you and all that stuff. Thanks for listening. Let's fade out this cool music here. All right, and let's get on with the interview with my good friend, Tina Campbell. Thank you so much, Tina, for chatting with us today. Here we go. Okay, so hi, Tina. Thanks for coming to Blab about tinnitus. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited. I I guess I'm, the first thing I want to ask you is, how did you get into audiology? Because when we met, you seemed like we we both liked the same sort of bands. We like loud stuff. And then one day you told me you were studying audiology that seemed at the time for me to come from left field. Now I'm like, genius. Uh, <laughs> so can, can you tell me like well, why you chose to go down this path? Yeah, um, I think, you know, 
when you and I met, when I was, you know, in my mid late twenties, I really had no idea what the hell I wanted to do with my life. I had gone to college. I'd worked random jobs being, you know, service industry, office jobs, things like that. Um, and I really wanted to get back into like a place of being of service to others, but kind of was burnt out by, you know, the service industry and things like that. But anyways, you know, long story short, I did kind of take a convoluted route to get where to where I am. My undergrad degree is in psychology and linguistics. So I've always really been interested in how the mind works, how the brain works, and how, you know, language and communication also kind of interact with the world inside our own heads, as well as the world outside of us, society and anthropology. So um, my kind of next best thing was, uh, I thought maybe speech pathology, um, kind of a next route to go into a little bit more of a service healthcare role, um, kind of tying into my undergraduate studies. So I decided to go back to school to do some like prerequisite courses. And I took, I think it was, I think it was just my like generic anatomy and physiology course. And I think I was really fortunate because my professor happened to be an audiologist, which I think in the world of the communication disorders kind of academic world it's very speech pathology heavy, especially faculty wise. So um, my professor was an audiologist, so she really concentrated a lot on the anatomy and physiology of the auditory system. And I immediately was like, what is this? Like the ear was just, I don't know, the most interesting, complex and kind of uncharted territory. Um, so I was really, really fascinated by, <clears throat> excuse me, by the anatomy and physiology of the ear. And then from there, you know, I took some hearing science courses, an intro to audiology course. And at the time I was still unsure if I wanted to do speech pathology or audiology. Um, but, you know, I did some shadowing of audiologists in clinic and things like that. And I kind of liked the diagnostic aspect of audiology kind of putting pieces of a puzzle together really intrigued me. So um, that's when I kind of decided to pursue my graduate education in audiology. Um, went to grad school and now I'm, I've been working as an audiology for a little, as an audiologist for a little bit over a year now. So yeah, I think all in all, I was really kind of trying to marry some of my different interests, one of them being music and, you know, my want to serve and help others. And the audiology kind of just seemed like the perfect marriage of the two. Whoa, that's, that's <laughs> really cool. I have a bunch of questions from what you said there, yeah. but one of the things that struck me the most was you described uncharted territory. What, yeah. What's this uncharted territory of the ear? Of I, I will. I mean that kind of in uh, like to me, it was uncharted. Like it was nothing I'd ever learned about before in any of my studies or even, you know, high school biology. I feel like, you know, maybe you learn about the three 
smallest bones in your ear, um, you know, the incus, the malleus, and the stapes, um, you know, the, but besides that, it was something completely foreign to me, and it seemed just, I don't know, it was unbelievable that I had not learned about it hmm. at that point. I do remember one of the first times you telling me about going to, or at least my memory serves me in this way, that the first time you told me about your studying audiology was when we were on our way to Boston to go see Nails, and it was yeah. a super loud show. And I remember thinking if there was a part of the hardcore punk loving kid inside you that wanted to go into audiology to like you were looking into the future and you were like, my people are going to need this. Or, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think before I started grad school, I kind of had this very, um, you know, fantastical vision of being like the audiologist for all the rock stars. Right, um, right. I came into the field and there's, there is someone that's already doing that. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's still an aspiration, but I think I was a little green, um, you know, back then and, uh, not entirely knowing all of what is involved with it, but it's definitely something I still would love to, you know, do going forward. But yeah, no, there's certainly that aspect of it. Cool. Um, so yeah, man, I, there's so much I want to know. I, I, I'm sure that there's so much of your job that isn't focused on tinnitus, but I do want to get right to it. And in your time as an audiologist or in your studies, what did you encounter in the realm of tinnitus? What's the conversation like about tinnitus from an audiologist perspective? So I think I'll start kind of in grad school with my studies there. The unfortunate uh, reality is that there's not a ton of time in grad school spent on, I'm going to say both tinnitus and tinnitus. Um, yeah, the unfortunate thing is not a ton of, of time is spent talking about tinnitus in grad school. Um, I think I was really fortunate in that my graduate studies, I went to University of Texas at Dallas. I have at least two uh, faculty members who spend a significant amount of their research and their time um, kind of, you know, in the same pool as tinnitus, maybe not directly, but um, whether it be working on hearing conservation or kind of the neurophysiological uh, models of auditory things. Um, so I had a two credit hour course in tinnitus um, in my second year of grad school. It certainly, I think, is more than most other programs offer. And then, you know, aside from that, of course, you know, it kind of gets lumped in um, with hearing loss or other auditory disorders in our other courses. So, for example, we did have a course, you know, on counseling, talking to patients, you know, how to deal with difficult conversations, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so that was kind of lumped in under that category, you know, tinnitus and hearing loss or, you know, how to counsel patients with X, Y, Z. Um, symptoms, but the focus is really not on tinnitus and the, you know, education level. And I think that's a whole conversation to have otherwise about kind of changing the educational model for audiology programs. But, um, 
And then I think, you know, getting out into the real world, it's certainly that's something that you encounter on a day, like day, daily basis in clinic with patients. Um, just on, you know, I think there's a wide variety of patients that you can encounter. So, you know, there's patients who have hearing loss and tinnitus that's non-bothersome. You know, they really just want to help with communication, hearing their family and their loved ones. And then there's people that come in specifically looking, you know, to get some relief from their tinnitus. Um, and then again, kind of on a spectrum of how, how, you know, bothersome is it and how disturbing is it to their day-to-day -day life? You can kind of go from one extreme to the other, but I think in general, um, not to totally knock the <laughs> other audiologists in my field, but you know, there's not a lot of emphasis on tinnitus in the clinical world. Um, there are a lot of, you know, there's a handful of really excellent providers that, that's their main focus. But for your kind of, you know, everyday audiologist, it is um, a difficult topic, I think, for audiologists to, um, to kind of cover and, and to work with because it can be a very challenging thing um, and very time-consuming um, process to, you know, manage and treat, diagnose and, and work with a patient. Um, so yeah, I think it does often get kind of pushed to the wayside, unfortunately, quite a bit more than it should. You mentioned being green and having all these high hopes for yourself. I'm in this, I feel like I'm in a similar boat where I'm like, I'm going to change the world yeah. as far as tinnitus is concerned. But then I, I kind of look at the landscape, at least what I can see of it. And I'm, I, and hearing what you're saying right here, I go. You know, may, maybe there's a good reason for that. I, I've had some one-on-one -on -one conversations. I, I talked to someone, um, an ENT from Boston, who kind of just gave me this very, not very sympathetic sounding download. And he's just like, that's it. You have tinnitus. That's your, that you're going to have to learn to live with it. The same conversation that we all hear when we go mm -hmm. to the ENT or audiologist when we first hear the ringing. And yeah. it, it's my hope that that conversation can be slightly modified, but maybe again, maybe I'm being too idealistic. No, no, I don't think so. I, like I said, I think a lot of it stems from a lack of education by a lot of audiologists about tinnitus. I think a lot of it stems from the fact that for each individual person that experiences it, it's different and treatment is different. Um, for everybody kind of where it originates, you know, if it is an auditory thing, if it's more of a neurophysiological thing, a lot of times it's both, you know, the treatment really does vary depending on what is the, you know, kind of plan of which level of this tinnitus do we attack? Is it the, at the auditory level, kind of where the tinnitus is generated? Is it more kind of in, you know, the neuro, neurophysiological aspects is kind of un subconscious reaction in the limbic system. Is it an emotional reaction? You know, are we having to work with anxiety, depression, um, all these other, you know, fear, guilt, all these other kind of emotional drivers. And I think for each person, the, the driver is different and that's kind of where you need to pinpoint treatment, but it can be really difficult to 
peel away all the layers and figure out what that is for that individual person. Right, right. So can you keep using this term neurophysiological? Yeah. I just want to make sure that I'm understanding. Can you explain that term? Like, Yeah, so the neurophysiological kind of model for tinnitus was first introduced by Jastroboff, um, who's a big name in the world of tinnitus and kind of was the, um, you know, he was the one who created the tinnitus retraining therapy, but it's the idea that, you know, tinnitus is generated by the auditory system. So some kind of change in the auditory system, whether that be hearing loss or, or, you know, simply just a shift in hearing. Um, but then it's really kind of these different levels within um, the brain that what is what drives it, you know, so the limbic system being a huge component of that um, and the autonomic nervous system also being part of that. So, you know, kind of delineating the people who have tinnitus, but don't necessarily um, are bothered by it or even really are aware of it, um, you know, compared to people who have tinnitus and are very aware of it, maybe are also very emotionally disturbed by it. So um, there's kind of three different components, right? There's the actual, you know, perception of the sound. There's that autonomic nervous um, reaction, whether that be like a physiological reaction where, you know, you're not even aware of it, but your limbic system kind of maybe triggers a, like your heart rate to increase. In talking about this neurophysiological uh, aspect of, of tinnitus and our understanding of it, I've been really interested in all the research I've been doing uh, where I find interesting connections. Like recently I started learning about the research of uh, the studies that this um this guy who had a like a ketamine clinic in Austin was doing, he wrote a book on um, traumatic brain injuries. And I, my understanding is that some people can get tinnitus after a traumatic brain injury. And it seems like there's an interesting, and like you said, kind of there's this uncharted territory of like people a lot of work needs to be done to map the these connections between what we know about tinnitus from an audiology perspective, but also all of these cognitive and psychological factors. That, and and sorry if I'm not using the right terms. This is why I'm going to school so I can learn. I, I need to be able to better walk through this area. So, no, I I think you kept touch on a lot of good things there. I think the world of audiology, you know, especially when it comes to tinnitus, it's a very, it, you know, it, it's easy to have a, nar a narrow view of tinnitus as only being an auditory problem. But I think that's naive to think. And I think, you know, understanding some of these other models, like the neurophysiological model, inherently means that there's going to be some kind of interdisciplinary type resolution to it. Because you know, it's not just the ears that are involved with tinnitus, you know, it's, it's the brain, you know, it's our nervous system. It's all of these other things, you know, which audiologists, we know ears, that's what we're trained in and that's what we specialize in. 
So it can be tricky for audiologists to kind of step out of that role, especially in a clinical setting. You know, there are boundaries to what an audiologist can and can't do within the clinic, you know, licensure wise, but also just, you know, knowledge wise. So, um, you know, without having a specific degree or licensure in counseling or degree or, you know, any kind of expertise in neurology or um, psychology and psychiatry, it's, you know, audiologists are very limited in, in what they can um, do with patients in the clinic in terms of treatment and things like that. So I think it's really important that audiologists recognize the need for inter interdisciplinary management and being able to have good resources with folks that can kind of pick up where our um, scope of practice ends and help the patient, you know, kind of move along. Whoa. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that answers a lot from the perspective of all the people in the tinnitus forums complaining about why their visit to the specialist was so upsetting. It sounds like there's a lot of professional limitations and, and I'm, it sounds like there's good reason for those limitations to mm -hmm. not outstretch those professionals, but that, you know, there's so many people that are just so frustrated by the response they get from their care team about their tinnitus. They're basically sent packing with little to no resources. I feel like the only reason I was referred to, and you had mentioned psychology, the only reason I was referred to a cognitive behavioral therapy person was because I basically was like, I'm not going to leave this office till you give me a pamphlet or something. Please mm -hmm. give me something. Wow. That's, that's an interesting piece of info. Outside of the current model, do you yeah. see any avenues that just from your perspective could be more thoroughly explored with the, with the hope of helping people with tinnitus? Yeah. I mean, I think right now tinnitus tends to live in the world of audiology and hearing science. And I think it needs to merge with neurology and psychology, psychiatry, because there's no separating the, you know, the fact that it's not just the ears, but it is the brain and it is an emotional response. So it's difficult because, you know, there's me not really knowing, you know, the whole scope of what a psychiatrist does, what a psychologist does, because I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist or even a neurologist, but I think where the best way to kind of merge the three professions is, you know, through basic research and being able to kind of come together to bring expertise into the world of tinnitus, because I think right now we're so siloed. And I think mm. that's one of the, uh, you know, detriments to moving forward with understanding tinnitus and then thus being able to find, um, you know, new avenues to help patients and help people that have it. So it's often difficult for professionals to have that interdisciplinary um, work because we're so siloed. You know, we know what we know, but I think to bridge those gaps is going to make a bigger difference and bigger change overall in the future. Huh. Being able to, yeah. I'm interested in what you are saying about this, um, the ketamine trials. So 
Yeah, so he wasn't specifically as I listened to this whole interview with uh, he's a neurosurgeon who is based on my best understanding of trolling tinnitus message boards working on a study on tinnitus and ketamine therapies. So this is this is a separate um, uh, person, but gotcha. um, yeah, I heard about him on Tinnitus Talk, which is a really really great uh, resource. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I I'm I really am interested in all of these where the where those highways overlap, and I, it's interesting to hear from your professional viewpoint that the the siloed term that you used i'm I'm pretty um interested in in seeing how we can um de-silo everyone you had said a couple months ago in our messages back and forth that you were going to a conference about tinnitus or something Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah it was the iowa tinnitus conference they're actually they actually just held it thursday and friday of this week i was not able to attend this year Uh, but i had some colleagues What's that? I said I totally would have gone. Like, well, what's really good about it is it they actually do open up registration to patients and people who experience tinnitus, it, you know, to gain more information and to kind of hear about what's going on in the world of tinnitus, fr- you know, directly from the scientists and the researchers. Um, and I think, you know, as far as I've observed from you and what you've been doing, I think the best thing you can do is equip yourself with knowledge about it and kind of being um, aware about it. You know, obviously there can be a a detriment to kind of the, you know, over obsessing about it and then kind of always having it ever present on your mind. But, you know, I do think that there is some truth in, you know, knowledge is is power um, and can help you know, give some people some sense of control, but, um, yeah, regardless that tinnitus conference that I had went to, I attended virtually. Um, but it was really good kind of getting different perspectives from, you know, uh, researchers, scientists, um, folks in the industry. So people who are, you know, working on devices and other types of, you know, um, management or treatments. And then, you know, some of the folks kind of in the world of, um, you know, pharmaceuticals and other things. Um, so yeah, it was a really interesting conference and I'm actually, uh, one of my colleagues attended this year. So hopefully she'll be able to give me the rundown on any updates in 2022, but yeah. Cool. Yeah, I I know we just heard some pretty uh, uh, disappointing news recently about uh, Autonomy, which is this pharmaceutical company based out of, I believe, San Diego. They they stopped working on their Odo 313, which is supposed to be this formula for your ears. Yeah, you mentioned that that fine line of obsessing over it. And I did trust me every time I go to press record on another podcast episode, I'm like, why am I doing this? Am I just, <laughs> it was no mean, I was not meaning to. <laughs> no, I get it. it, it anything. A, no, it's a super realistic consideration, but I do wonder from time to time, like if I'm just kind of circling the drain. So I am trying to, by furthering my education and, and arming myself with more knowledge, trying to, 
give myself tools that if I ever find myself stuck, I can pull myself out or whatever. I mean, I just, it messed me up pretty bad. And I would hate for that to happen to anyone. Like, um, you know, it, it just kind of took me by surprise and, and by surprise. And as like a pretty arrogant punk, most of my life, I, I just may, maybe my goal is to find another arrogant punk and, and, and show them what I'm seeing before they are forced to, to look at it themselves. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> the arrogant punk, I think you nailed it. Uh, one of the things that I really became interested in in grad school was um, kind of outreach for hearing protection. There's a lot of really good or, you know, professional organizations, the National Hearing Conservation Association, uh, NHCA is one of them. Um, and their goal really is to drive awareness of hearing conservation to help prevent, you know, auditory disorders, whether that be hearing loss and or tinnitus. Um, and, it, you know, there's a lot of folks that do, um, you know, it, it kind of surfaces in different ways. So, you know, there's hearing conservation in the military aspect, and then there's hearing conservation, you know, in the um, industry aspect, people working in factories. And then, you know, of course, there's music. Um, and that was really what, I, if I'm you know, now I'm kind of having a realization, but that was 100% the reason why I went into audiology was, I think this, I had the same drive to kind of try to reach as many arrogant punks as I could and try to, you know, just like shake them and be like, stop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I promise you, you're going to regret what you're doing. But, um, you know, that's one of the beauties of the kind of punk rock attitude is, um you know, not caring, um, pretty much about anything. Um, certainly hearing being one of them. So it's a, it's a different, it's a difficult hill to climb, but, um, yeah, it's, I, uh, I applaud you for all of your endeavors. And I think what you're doing, I, I listened to your first episode, your solo cast, and I was really impressed. I have to say by, I think you're, not only your breadth of knowledge, but your depth of knowledge on the subject and the way that you kind of tackled it was, I think, wonderful. It was tactful. You didn't say any of the like kind of bad things. You, you know, you weren't going down weird rabbit holes and getting, you know, I don't know you you know you kind of hit all the the good talking points so well i mean just to Impressive. give credit where credit's due i i was reading a lot from the ata website so yeah. i, cool. I using it as a framework <laughs> i i needed to get off the couch and, and make my episode i uh just came home and i said here i'm doing it and um but yeah that i mean that's how my brain runs with tinnitus 24 7 i wake up in the morning and i'm typing in random keywords plus tinnitus mm -hmm. just looking for any links there and um i i i don't see any signs of stopping like i'm going to keep bugging everyone i know about it because i just want to learn how we can change conversations it's just wild for me to talk to other musicians other people who just put themselves up against loud noise and 
the sort of excuse making that goes on. I don't mean it in a bad way because I used to do it too. I'd people. Hey, me too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, so the, the one that I repeat so often is that people would tell me in reference to the ringing sound that I might hear after a show. Oh, you know, that's the last time you're going to hear that tone. And I'd say good riddance. It's an annoying tone. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just this high pitched ring. Why would I want that in my ears all the time? (laughs) <laughs> and then I didn't realize that one day it would just be replaced. Like it would just always be there. So, yeah, I've heard some of my patients refer to it as their constant companion. Yeah. They're <laughs> I like, think is a endearing way to look at it. Yeah. So yeah, um, who is it? the drummer from Queen um, has an article, uh, an interview where he refers to it as his little friend. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I don't know. Wow. Tina, I have like a gajillion more questions, but I, I feel like I know you got something to do. I got something. No, to it's do. okay. I have a little bit more time. So if oh, you really? want to maybe do one or two, yeah. Oh, I, I got, okay. I got two. two. Okay. Okay. We'll keep them short. Are, yeah. um, the, one might be a little bigger. So I'll, I'll put them both up there and you can see how you feel like attacking okay. One question I have like almost every single day, it, it interrupted my great interview with Justin Pearson. I'm in the middle of talking to him. I have tinnitus all the time, right? And then suddenly one of my ears goes like, like this weird, like someone hits a mute button on the sound. Not, not like I go deaf in that ear, but everything seems quieter. And suddenly my tinnitus is in that ear is psychotically loud and it'll Mm -hmm. often like go down just as soon as it popped up that's been happening to me for years but obviously now that I'm a little more aware of having tinnitus all the time I I I wonder what's up with that do you know what what that deal is so to be honest with you I don't know like what it is what causes it or kind of any of the you know physiological components behind it but I do know that that is a what we would consider like a typical phenomenon for most people yeah 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 so I have a lot of patients who come in and they're so concerned about that and I go that is a completely you know that is not necessarily a sign that there's something wrong right Mm -hmm. I think every now and then you know whether it be our just our brain misfiring, our ears misfiring or whatever it is, you know, I think that's a a natural occurrence and a typical occurrence I'll say. But yeah, no, I actually don't, I don't know. Maybe I should know. So maybe I'll look it up after this interview, but what the, you know, what the drivers are behind that one, because I get that a lot too. Yeah. I really want to, I, I have some theories that maybe it deals with like some sort of mineral balance or like even caffeine intake or you know maybe maybe there's just some weird sort of like levels are off yeah if I were to postulate and this is completely um just off the cuff there's no evidence behind this is more than likely it has something to do with the fluid dynamics of the inner ear Mm -hmm. um changing um, I had a friend once who said, oh, isn't that just like when one of your inner hair cell dies and it kind of lets off this like, you know, um, final 
what's the word? A death rattle. Yeah. Death rattle. Death it's rattle. like the final death rattle of this one inner hair cell. That's and what I was like, wonder. I like that theory. I think it's um it's pretty uh badass and and punk rock. Um, but I have there's you know, I have no knowledge of of what yeah. it is. But I, you know, I were if I were to guess, I'd say it has to do with something with the fluid in the inner ear and you know, all of the electrical mechanical things that go on um in those really really tiny tiny microscopic structures so yeah is that something if you were looking for those answers would you go into your audiology text or is that a, another discipline might lead you towards that answer because i'm gonna i do mean i would start with my audiology textbooks because the fact that there's also a muting of sound mm -hmm. leads me to think it has something to do with auditory system versus mm -hmm something to do with more of those kind of higher level neurological, neurophysiological systems mm -hmm. that we talked about with more of consonant debilitating tinnitus. So um, yeah, um, that might be a good, I'm going to put that, write a note to look more into that because. That, yeah, that one fascinates the hell out of me because I don't even have a term for it. And I try to describe it to be like, I'll just be talking to someone and it suddenly happens and I try to, hey, you ever have this happen to me? And they just kind of. Yeah. I think in like clinical terms, we, we call it like spontaneous, um, tinnitus, you know, something that lasts less than a minute or something like that. Um, versus, you know, intermittent tinnitus, which kind of comes, comes and goes like, I would consider my tinnitus to be intermittent because I have it associated with migraines. Um, and then there's, you know, more of constant tinnitus bothersome tinnitus but yeah. mm -hmm. no that's like that's a really good question nice when i'll have to you stumped me on that one i i aim for <laughs> one really good tinnitus question every yeah, yeah. well uh, i have i have time for one more if you want to yeah okay great yeah the the other one is um so one thing that a lot of people with tinnitus bothersome tinnitus especially fall into they they, they fall into this trap of uh hypervigilance worrying constantly about external sounds a lot of people talk about um wearing earplugs and hearing protection all the time like i have a set of over ears that i put on when i grind coffee in the morning um, I know there's a couple rules of thumb about general safe audio levels. Like if you have to raise your voice to be heard or understood by someone three feet away, it's generally a sign that you're in an environment that's too harmful. Mm -hmm. Can, is, is there Are there any sort of like quick assurances or words of wisdom you can give to someone who is concerned about um, audio levels? Like I have some paranoia about the volume uh, inside the cabin of an airplane. I'm a little nervous about running my vacuum cleaner. Uh, you know, how dangerous are those levels? Can you speak to that at all? And especially for someone with tinnitus who might be worried that their ears are extra sensitive. Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. And you bring up a point where, you know, Tying back into what we're talking about with this kind of emotional responses, you know, folks with tinnitus definitely have, I think, a more fearful response of, you know, creating more damage to their ears and things like that. And I think it's a completely justified fear. Um, but I do think that there is kind of a, a boundary in which it's, um, you know, borderline, maybe pathological, pathological, pathological. Oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> I could edit that. 
Uh, that's whatever. Uh, that's, you know, uh, the fear of, of other external sounds. So when it comes to noise exposure, there's kind of two components to it. There's not only just the loudness, but also the duration of exposure, right? So if you think about um, really, really loud sounds, gunshots, bombs exploding, things like that, um, instantaneous, within milliseconds, that sound can cause not only just, you know, traumatic damage to the inner ear, but also can like blow your eardrum out. It can cause physical mechanical damage, right? Especially if it's in close range. So something that's very loud does not take a lot of time of exposure to cause damage. Whereas, you know, if you look on the spectrum of things, things that are on more of the kind of mild, moderate loudness levels kind of hovering around that like 85 decibel level, that would really be, you know, long-term exposures. So a lot of the data that comes from um, noise exposure and kind of the, the risk that comes with different types of exposures is from factory workers and the military. So the DOD does a lot of um, research in this. So the, I don't know if you're familiar with, you know, the NIOSH guidelines, um, so they tend to be a little bit more um, conservative for hearing conservation and hearing protection, um, as opposed to um, what's conservative. the what's the um, what's the uh, organization that does workplace safety? OSHA. Oh my gosh, thank you. I was wanting to say ASHA, not ASHA. Yeah. Anyways, okay, so NIOSH tends to have some more conservative guidelines about you know hearing levels compared to OSHA, because what OSHA looks into account is kind of the risk um, gain ratio. So if a person who works in, you know, say 90 decibels of noise for an eight hour shift for their 40 year lifelong career, they calculate that their risk of getting permanent hearing loss, you know, is still, there's still a margin worth 25% of those folks, even with all the protections in place, will get some type of permanent hearing loss because they have to look at it with, okay, well, how can we reasonably run economy and industries, but also protect our workers? And there is still a, you know, a small portion of folks that are factored, in, factored into that risk category. But anyways, so that 85 decibel level there, you know, really is looking at an eight hour workday, 40 hours a week for 40 years. And at that level, what's your risk of hearing loss? 25%, right? So you can imagine things like running your vacuum cleaner, which, you know, if you're really interested to get an, a gauge of the, the decibel levels of the sounds in your environment, NIOSH has a really good app, which is free. You can download. And there's been a a lot of studies that have shown that that's, you know, one of the better apps out there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I encourage you, yeah, take a reading of when you run your vacuum cleaner. What is it? You know, is it at, is it at 90, you know, and put it like 81 to 83 usually. Yeah. And if you're up here at your ears, you know, someone like you, who's very tall, you may get, <laughs> I might be at 85. You may be at 83 because you're uh -huh. a couple inches <laughs> away. Um, but, you know, so 
think about it like that. So a vacuum cleaner at 81 decibels, not only is that kind of below those, that kind of threshold for risk, but unless you're vacuuming for eight hours a day, 40 hours a week for 40 years, it's safe to use, you know? So, so, but you know, I implore everybody to kind of you know, take stock of the sounds around you and, and at least kind of gets gives you a general gauge of the different sounds in your environment where you really should be protecting yourself. So yes, I think Annika should be wearing hearing protection when she mows the lawn. Um, and then, you know, where maybe you don't need it and where, when, if you are wearing it in certain situations where it can be a hindrance, you know, you're, when it comes to tinnitus, you want to flood your ears with all the environmental sounds that you can. It gives your ears, you know, it stimulates your ears. It gives your ears something else to listen to besides the tinnitus. It helps to reduce that contrast. You know, I'm sitting in a pretty much a soundproof. uh, This isn't this is my boyfriend's, you know, he's an audio engineer. This is his recording studio. And right now my tinnitus is, I can hear it and I don't usually ever hear it. Um, And so if I were just to go out into my living room where, you know, the AC is running, I can hear the refrigerator humming, you know, every now and then I hear a car run by. Those are things that are giving my ears input that are helpful, beneficial, keeps me from focusing solely in on that tinnitus. Um, So there can be detriment of wearing ear, ear protection when it's not needed. Um, it can, what we call like auditory deprivation can deprive your ears of the sound that it desperately wants. You know, that's one of the ideas behind tinnitus is with hearing loss or with change in hearing the brain and the, you know, the auditory system isn't receiving the signals that it knows it should be. So it almost kind of generates its own sound in an, in an attempt to kind of fix this, you know, silence or this lack of sound or, or distorted sound that it's getting. So, um, you know, there's a fine line between hearing protection and then auditory deprivation. And I think, um, equipping yourself with, you know, like I said, download that NIOSH app, figure out what sounds are good and what sounds aren't good, you know, duration time and things like that play a huge part. Fucking sick. Um, <laughs> No, no, it's great, Tina. It's great. I I mean, thank you so much for helping uh, delineate some of the fuzziness in my own understanding of tonight. Absolutely. I'm glad I could help. I Like I said, I listened to your first episode and I was like, well, he's he knows as much as I do. So, <laughs> I, so uh, honestly, I went to a hearing professional early on and I started spewing my tinnitus stuff, dropping my tinnitus names. And they said Honestly, I think you know as much about tinnitus, if not more than I do. Yeah, you probably know more than I do, um, I, or at least I, you're. I think more con- you're more constantly delving into it than I am. Like I said, it's it's something I don't typically um, get a chance to talk about, but I'm glad I did today. So well, and and that's what motivated me to start down this path of of uh, you know hopefully being able to address it from a professional mm-hmm. standpoint. But who knows? I'll I'll ask you plenty more questions about that when the time comes. But I appreciate you taking the time to yeah. wade through the muck and uh, talk with me about all this stuff. 
Yeah, it's been my pleasure. It's been good. It's good to see you again and get to talk and all your JD-isms. <laughs> still around. Yeah. 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 They're still there. Still there. Cool. But it was good seeing you and chatting with you. And yeah. Yeah. Best of luck for the rest of everything. Keep me posted on school and whatnot. So. Yeah, we'll do. I thank you so much for that little. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Later. See Bye ya. Bye. So nice that Tina. I gotta say, I'm pretty proud of myself for stumping her with that question about the sudden muffled ear and then the ringing coming out of nowhere, being a lot real intense and then going away. What's up with that? I've been wondering about it a lot lately, and I feel like it's been happening to me more often. Not in a catastrophic way. I'm not extremely worried. It's always happened to me, but it can be a little shocking, disorienting. And uh, I even talked to someone the other day who said that they've been noticing it happening to them a lot. And they brought it up. I, I wasn't suggesting this subject to anyone. They brought it up. So... Don't go thinking I'm just spreading tinnitus paranoia everywhere. Maybe I am. I don't know. Anyway, I hope you guys uh, enjoyed that episode. Thank you so much, Tina, for sitting and chatting with me. So honored to... uh, I feel like I elbowed my way to the big kids table, at least for a moment, right? I got to talk to an audiologist on the show about this stuff. Can you believe it? A year ago, I was just sad, sitting in my living room, watching YouTube videos of people tapping the backs of their heads with spoons, and now I'm talking to punk legends and my good friend Tina, the audiologist, another audiologist coming on the show next, and so much more in store. Got school coming up. I'm pretty stoked, y'all. So, uh, hey... Just want to say we could really use the support. Uh, please give us a like, subscribe, give us a rating, whatever you feel is appropriate on whatever platform you listen to these episodes. Follow us on Instagram, How I Got Tinnitus on Instagram, and reach out. Let us know what you're hearing. I, I say us sometimes. It's me. It's just me. It's just me doing this show. And it's a whole heck of a lot of work, but it's a labor of love, y'all. And I hope you've been picking up what I've been putting down. It really excites me to feel like I'm doing something for my tinnitus people. Because, golly gee, I know it can be lonely out there. But it's not all bad. I've been having some good days lately. I hope you have been too. Got any celebrity tinnitus sightings? Who did I learn about recently? I don't know, I got, uh, you know who I was thinking about? Archer, the cartoon. He's got tinnitus. Look it up. All right. Thanks, y'all. Talk to you later.